why do we give and receive gifts? How is the Apostle Paul's understanding of gift different to the world in which he lived? How does the gift of Christ challenge our sense of status and hierarchy? And what might a community of gift look like today? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cramahor Durham, where we explore some of the big questions of life and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Kimming, and in today's show, I'll be talking to Professor John Barclay, the Lightfoot Professor of Divinity in the Department of Theology and Religion at Durham University. And our question today is, how should God's gift shape the church? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. John, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, if you would, and in particular, uh, how you've ended up in doing this role here in Durham. Sure. I I grew up in London in a... a a Christian family. Um, I, after school, I had a um, really formative experience in Pakistan for nine months when I worked for a church in Lahore, uh, which kind of opened my eyes, shaped my sense of the world in a in a new way. Uh, and then, when I went to university, I studied uh, classics for a while, and then felt the urge to move on to, st- to study theology, and uh, ended up. Uh, doing an academic career, which I hadn't expected at the time, but I stayed on and did a PhD and thought I would then go abroad, but I ended up going to Glasgow, uh, <laughs> which is uh, uh, which was a great experience. I was in, in Glasgow for 19 years working at the University of Glasgow and then uh, came down to Durham. Not many people say they come down to Durham, but I came down to Durham in 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 two thousand and three. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful department here. Very, I have very good colleagues, and I've thoroughly enjoyed being here. Mm. I know much of your work recently has been focused on the writings of the Apostle Paul. Yes, tell us um, where that interest in the Apostle Paul began, and what's what's been the focus of your thinking over the years. Sure. I think it began when I was a student. I had some very inspirational teachers, uh, including Tom Wright at one stage in my undergraduate career. Um, I have always, there's a bit of me that's a social historian. And one of the things I like about the letters of Paul is that you can Mm. situate them fairly precisely in an ancient historical context. And I've loved doing that kind of detective work. What can we find out about that very earliest phase of Christianity? But I also find Paul himself a particularly fascinating figure, a very, very creative, radical theologian who uh, asks the deepest questions. Um, obviously, he's had this huge influence down through through Christian history. But I th- think what I find about every time I read Paul, it kind of shakes me up a bit. There's something there's something edgy there about Paul. I mean, I love the whole the whole New Testament, but uh, I gravitate often to Paul. Although many people find Paul hard to understand, and I'm not saying he is, uh, his style is sometimes difficult, but if you can penetrate to the heart of his thought, I find it, as I say, deeply moving and deeply uh, creative. 
You talked about those two aspects that you find attractive, both the kind of detective work about yeah. the first century and also just the writing of the man himself. Yeah. Are there any kind of insights into those worlds, the world of the, the first century and the world mm. of Paul himself, mm. that have proved really helpful over the years, that's helped shape your understanding? Yes, I diff- think I find uh, uh, understanding the first century context of Paul's church is helpful for raising the right expectations or to find in Paul. If we sometimes expect Paul to be uh, speaking directly to us as if he was a 21st century figure. And mm. I find it helpful to understand first where he was or wasn't unusual in his own day. Uh, what were the parameters of the possible and also where he pushed up against um, uh, the expectations of that. So, so that, for instance, normal expectations of of the worth of people Everyone knew in the ancient world that free people were worth more than slaves, that males were worth more than female. That was just part of the cultural zeitgeist. And for Paul to be pushing back against that sort of thing, which seems to us, well, obvious, of course he would, but in the in the ancient context, that is surprising, radical, um, and, and um, socially very creative. So is part of the discovery about realising the things that we overlook yes. in the ancient world that, that we assume just is actually very different to our world today and discovering what those differences are. Yes, I think that, that's been um, important for me that the historical work um, helps to sh- sharpen the profile um, of what uh, an ancient thinker is is really saying, where they're going with the grain and where they're cutting against the grain. And um, I mean, something we may talk more about later is it's the ancient expectation for instance that gifts are, are, you should be given to people who have worth who mm-hmm. have social worth or cultural worth or economic worth or, or or legal worth or whatever and and it's that's just taken for granted in antiquity you give your best gifts to people who are in some sense worthy of them and so for paul to say no god's best gift is given without regard to worth is one of those things where you think oh my goodness this really changes the shape of a whole community and its, its whole way of thinking. That takes us on to your your most recent work, your mm. your major work. I have it here on the table in front of me, Paul and the Gift. Um, tell us the story behind that book. What, what made you write it in the first place? I think it was a number of factors that came together. I, I I've always found... Um, sociology and anthropology a fascinating subject area and one of the things you quickly realize is that gifts mean different things in different cultures mm. if you travel uh, at all around the world today you'll know if you go to japan or go to almost any other culture than western culture there are a diff- whole set of different expectations around gifts and 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 so our expectations our assumptions about gifts are not necessarily the norm. So there's something about gifts I find very fascinating, but also uh, in terms of Paul's theology, I've always felt there was something in what Paul was saying that was radical and subversive, but I couldn't for a long time put my finger on what it was. Um, There's been quite a spell in this history of the study of Paul where we've said, well... Paul, yes, he talks about the grace of God, but so did everybody in the ancient world, and so did everybody in ancient Judaism. There's nothing 
different or, or um, about that. What was different, it was argued, was simply his social practice in terms of gathering communities of 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 which cross the ethnic boundary between Jew and non-Jew. And I, th- I think that is right. He, he does gather these these uh, different uh, kinds of communities with a with a different social makeup. But the question for me is, what's the theological or the ideological root of that? Why would he, why would you cross that boundary? Why would you why would you disregard the normal sense of worth, the difference in worth between different ethnic groups? And and then when I could put, as it were, two and two together and think, oh, there's something about what Paul says about grace that makes the difference here. Then I could see, um, it was like scratching an itch. I'd, I'd, I'd had that itch for a long time, for 20 or 30 years, and hadn't quite been able to scratch it properly before. And I, and this is why I, I decided to write that book. You talked about the way in which gift means different things throughout the world mm, today mm, mm. Um, from an anthropological perspective you can see that when you go elsewhere yeah, yeah. Uh, in in cultures outside the west mm. before we look at kind of paul give us a sense of way in which gift has changed perhaps over time mm. how were how mm. are gifts seen in the ancient world yes, you hinted at yes. it earlier but tell us more about that yeah I, I, gifts in the ancient world and in most cultures today are ways of creating social ties they're ways of binding community together you give gifts to those who who are part of your community or you want to be part of your community because gifts expect reciprocity. Um, the return gift may be gratitude, uh, may not be a counter gift, but all gifts expect. They can't demand, it's not legally enforceable, they can't demand a return, but they expect a return because it's like in any friendship, you do a good turn and you because, as a way of wanting to be friends with somebody and, and you don't expect that to be a purely one-sided relationship. One of the oddities of modern Western culture is that we've, as it were, purified gift from or wanted to in our ideal, wanted to purify a gift from any notions of return. We've said the ideal gift should be a gift given, as we say, with no strings attached. Uh, a gift that's given preferably anonymously, so there can be no possibility of, re- of a return. We hate to put people under obligation. Uh, and that idealization of uh, the pure gift is a, a particular construct, I, I, I came to the conclusion, it's a particular phenomenon which is a characteristic of modernity in the Western world, uh, but it arises out of particular social, historical, economic uh, uh, um, uh, conditions and is not timeless and is not necessarily morally ideal. It's just it's the way we have idealized it that makes it seem the best kind of gift. And so the ancient world was about a was understanding gift as something as you say that's about creating ties yes. and about re- it, 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 the idea that gifts were uh, about reciprocity about expecting some sort of response is not a bad thing but rather was a an ideal within the ancient world and that was normal and we're the unusual yeah. ones if yes, you like. Yes, that's right. We are we we the way we've idealized the one-way gift um is 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 unusual in the hist- in the history of, of humanity and in and even culturally um, today. The, in the ancient world, they often used the image of the ball game, like a, a catch. They, they used to they didn't play football, but they played catch ball in the ancient world. So you throw the ball like you might throw a ball to a child today, in such a way that somebody can catch it, and 
and and return it and throw it back to mm. you. So the, the the it's not a game if you just chuck the ball at them and they either can't or don't return it. It's a game if the ball goes to and fro between you. And they said that's how how gifts work. It's uh, I do you a good turn, a benefit. I mean, and gifts can be, of course, many things, not just things you wrap in in wrapping paper. They can be any kind of benefit or good turn. And at some point, in some way, not necessarily the same way and not necessarily immediately, you want to reciprocate. And that's how a tie grows up between us. That, that, that's how we become friends. And that expectation of reciprocity is very important in the ancient world because that's, that, those are one of the key ways in which society is tied together. So if you've painted that landscape mm. of how the ancient societies worked in terms of the use of gifts as a yeah. way of building relationships yeah. and community... Yeah. How does that help us understand Paul's language of gift? I'm thinking right. about those explicit mentions when he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable yeah. gift. But yes. also there's a bigger gift language, isn't there, that he uses. How does that ancient landscape mm. help us understand Paul more clearly? You're right. Paul uses all kinds of gift language. Um, he uses many different words for it. It's not just any single word, but the word we translate as grace a charis in Greek. It's one of the key words in Paul, and it just means a favor or a benefit or a gift. It doesn't have any sort of special theological meaning in in the way Paul uses it. So he's often using gift language. Um, and, and I think the key thing for Paul is that the gift of God in Christ, and he sees the what has happened in Christ as the ultimate and the definitive and uh, the, the gift to the max, as it were, is uh, a gift given without regard to the worth of the recipient. That's what's unusual, because in the ancient world, if you're giving gifts in order to create relationships, you're also giving them discriminately. You're giving them carefully to people of worth. And that may be social, their social worth, their ethnic worth, their moral worth. And for Paul... What is remarkable about what God has done in Christ is that God, as he puts it, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. That the God gave his son, or he's, as Paul puts it, Christ gave himself um, without regard to our ethnic, uh, our ethnic origin, our ethnic traditions, without regard to our social um, worth, without regard to our status, without regard to our education, and so on. And that means that you can create new kinds of social relationship, new kinds of, of community which are not structured in the same way as most societies are structured by the normal hierarchies of worth. Because everyone's received the same gift. Because everybody is a recipient of the, of the same gift, that's right. And therefore, uh, the normal things that would divide people, like between a a free person and a slave, or between male and female, or between high status and low status, which would automatically slot you in a certain place in the community uh, and would create boundaries around the community. All of that has been, as it were, subverted. It's been undercut by this gift that's given without regard to worth, without regard to those forms of social capital. And that opens up all kinds of new possibilities it means jew and non-jew worship together it means in particular for paul that you don't you shouldn't in fact uh, require 
non-Jews to take on the Jewish cultural package, as it were, when they come to be in Christ. Uh, it means you don't have to uh, require people to change their social and cultural um, traditions uh, 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 in order to fit into some prior mould. It's often been commented that the church in Corinth that Paul mm. addresses is this remarkable social, unprecedented social experiment mm. where rich was mixing with poor and slave and free and male and female and Jew yep. and Gentile. Yep. And what you're saying is that it was really only made possible because of that incongruous gift that was not based on worth. Yes. And that really was the only thing that, that, that was what brought that community into existence in the first place yes i think that's absolutely right the 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 incongruity of grace of god's gift in christ means that this community is no longer is not structured now in in the normal Mm. ways god gives the gift of the spirit and the spirit's gifts are manifested in, in in all kinds of ways but it's not the case that for instance oh, the the wealthy must have the leadership roles here, or the slave must have a subordinate role here. Paul's very anxious about not recreating the normal social hierarchy. He's furious with the church in Corinth when it appears to be just mirroring the normal social hierarchical values, for instance, at the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is for him the epitome of where you are all, Mm. as it were, leveled out in receiving the grace of God. And so... To reinstate their social hierarchies is for him an, a, a total aberration. Mm-hmm. You told us, you've talked to us about way in which Paul explores how that gift is incongruous and therefore challenges the different value systems mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. But you told us earlier about the way in which the ancient landscape mm-hmm. was saw gift as something about reciprocity. Yes. How does that understanding of gift as something that invites return, yes. how does that help us understand Paul's use of gift? Is that part of yes. the territory as well? Yes, I think this is where Paul is actually much more in tune with the ancient world in this respect, that he assumes, and, and, and understandably, that gifts are meant to create relationships. The gift of God to us invites and calls for a response. Um, somebody compared it to the kind of the way, you know, some kind of singing cultures. It's a call and response kind of song in which the first person sings out a line and everybody responds to it. And um, Paul sees the gift of God in Christ as not something that's just, as it were, passed over to us and then, well, you do what you like, you can ignore it if you like. It's it's inviting into a relationship. And so the... Um, response it's inviting is a response of gratitude but also a response of allowing that gift to cascade on into gifts to others and in terms of of human relationships of gift Paul sees I would argue uh, reciprocity uh, gift and return as a central part of the of the Christian community Um, that's to say, in the body of Christ, no one can say, I don't need you, because every member of the body has something to offer. And in offering gifts, there's a mutual support system going on in which you're enabled both to give and to receive. I think one of the characteristics of modern Western Christianity is that we're happy giving, but we're not very happy receiving. We don't like receiving because we somehow feel that 
we have we've imbibed very deeply this desire for autonomy and for being independent and i think in paul's understanding of the church it's a community of of mutual giving and of and of reciprocity i'd like to come back to that in a moment let mm. me just check i've understood what might be kind of two misunderstandings of Paul. Would it be right to say that one misunderstanding of Paul is that uh, he he regarded, he only spoke about grace in the way that everyone else spoke about grace and there was Mm. nothing unique Mm. about that. Mm. And the other misunderstanding would be that he spoke about grace so much that, but the response didn't really matter. Yes. Would those those be misunderstandings of him? And and in fact, he was saying there is something unique about this, this Christ yeah. gift yes. in the sense it was given without worth and therefore yes. broke down the ancient hierarchies yes. of value. Yes. Yes. But it did invite and indeed call to use yes. that. Yes, a response. I think that's right. I think I want to push back against notions of grace as free in the sense of of inviting no response, as mm-hmm. having no expectations. I think the grace of God for Paul is free in the sense it's unconditioned. There's no previous conditions that make you worthy of it but it's not helpful i think to think of it as a a gift that that carries no expectations Mm -hmm. uh, because it's inviting as you say into into a relationship and there isn't therefore in paul the danger that sometimes has been in protestant theologies of grace what bonhoeffer called a cheap grace that oh well christ christ will give me his grace and nothing's expected of me i can carry on living yeah. as i was uh, uh, as i was before uh, i can always be forgiven so so it doesn't matter i don't have to change my life i don't have to um, regard myself as under any obligations and i think paul operates with the assumption which i think is a proper and fair assumption that gifts are given to to create relationships and that relationship um, brings you into an, a new set of expectations. You began to talk earlier and about the way in which the church today might be understood as living out that gift, mm. a, a culture, mm. I think you said, of mutual, mutual reciprocity. Mm. Mm. If you were to draw out those two dimensions of gift that we've explored yeah. so far today, the idea of an unconditional and incongruous yes. gift and yes. a, a gift that invites a response, yes. how might that... How might you see that challenge the the culture of churches today or be a real radical invitation to a different way? Well, I think the first, let's say the unconditioned gift, um, means, first of all, that the the church um, must never um, put around itself boundaries as if we are the worthy and outsiders are somehow less worthy. In other words... It always the church always has this outward moving momentum because the grace of God is not uh, determined by our, our sense of who's important and who's the right kind of people, and so there's always this fascinating, I think, ability in the gospel to keep saying, "Well, whoever thought that Lord High So and So was more important than the person who sweeps the streets and cleans the toilets in God's eyes." They're exactly the same. And, and I think that constant reminder uh, both helps the church to continually fight back against its tendencies to imbibe the hierarchical systems of the world and also prevents it from 
creating new kinds of boundaries uh, between the insider and the outsider. So the, 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 the incongruous gift encourages a multinational, multi-status, multilingual, uh, multicultural communities where you're constantly discovering the different and discovering God's work is God is at work in in people uh, that uh, are very very different from you, and therefore dissolve or challenge some of your own assumptions. The second point, though, is that the grace of God is given to be passed on, and it's given in order to create new um, relationships. So um, uh, we love our enemies in order to make them friends. We love one another in order to support one another. Um, the church is part of a community, not in a patronizing, well, here we're here to do you good, uh, but in a, a desire for reciprocal relationships in which we want to be part of this community in which we will benefit as well as you benefiting. Uh, so this... Uh, I would like to challenge some of the modern ways we talk about altruism, some of the ways we associate love with a kind of one-way gift that 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 is uh, afraid of any sense of of benefit for the self. And I want to say, the model of love I, I find in the New Testament is of a love that certainly challenges selfishness, but its goal is not selflessness, but if you like, co-benefit or co-interest in which we are part of a community in order to support and benefit one another. And therefore, a church community should be operating on the basis that I, as I give, I should expect to receive. Yes, I think there's something in the Christian, uh, in Christian theology that uh, it, it, it has this, this, this interesting balance that when I give, I want to receive back because I want a relationship. Is my gift dependent on, conditional on receiving back? No, um, because ultimately where I'll receive back from is God. Uh, and therefore, in a sense, you're able to give even risk in a risky way where I'm not sure I'm going to get a return. I can I can do without I can do without the return, but I will be it will be much better for us both if there is if there is reciprocity. Do you see what I mean? There's a kind of um, a nuance in that 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 a gift is always looking for a return, but it, it isn't confined to those places where I can guarantee I will get a return. It therefore can be. Uh, risky it can be risk-taking and i think what's one of the fascinating things about early christianity is that they kept crossing over the normal boundaries of 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 where you could be assured of a return don't just love those who love you says jesus love outside of that circle of trust and of of uh, assurance that you would get a return loan even though you're not sure you're going to get a return you take that risk because ultimately you're investing in in god's generosity and and um that gives you the the ability to reach out even when you're not sure of a return but the, but still the goal is i would love that enemy to become my, my friend and i'm hearing the language almost of a community of gift 
Yes. A, a gift that has been received, that indescribable gift that has been received equally within this community that enables this community even to be built in the first place of people who look very different and yeah. come from very different but that gift also shapes the culture of that community and the way it lives with one another and the way that it engages with others. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And, and, and gifts can be of many shapes and, mm. and sorts. So we're talking gift in a very broad sense here of, of, of the Give benefit, us an example. It might be a gift of time or it might... We often yes, think of gifts as yes, financial gifts. Yeah, yes. Tell a bit more. Yes, so it, it could be gifts of time. It could be gifts of service in all kinds of ways. Uh, generosity of... It seems to me if the church is not known for its generosity, it's not being the church. Uh, um, uh, but it's generosity that invites people into sharing their talents as well. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things I'm, I'm passionate about is not characterizing people, at, uh, areas of towns, for instance, deprived, as if there's nothing there, as if there's only a deficit there. Um, what we are looking for is to release and develop and expand people's talents and to bring them into a community of mutual gift. It reminds me when I was uh, in parish ministry and we had a fairly significant work among older people. Yes. And often older people were seen as people who were done to. Yes. And yet yes. discovering what I received. Yes. And going into that group yes. aware yes. of what I was yes. going to receive yes. rather than anything I could give. I found that a very yeah. moving experience. Yes. yes. And it was that community of gift. And I received yeah. wisdom. I received experience. I received yes. attention. I received prayer. Yes. Yes. And being open to that gift. Yes, that's right. And I think one of the fascinating things in the moment in the theology of disability and and in those uh, working um, uh, with those with severe um, disabilities is again discovering, no, there is actually there a reciprocity of gift. It's not a one-way relationship. Mm -hmm. It would be unhelpful to think of it as a one-way relationship. You've hinted this at, at this already. How has this connected with your own journey of discipleship? Mm. Um, you're a New Testament professor in a very prestigious mm. university. What has your exploration of this community of gift done for you, if I may ask? Yeah. Well... I think it's helped me continually relativize, uh, almost sort of subvert my own status in the sense that I think it, it, it constantly reminds me that in the eyes of God, being Professor X and having this amount of education and so on is not the most important thing about me. And therefore, it doesn't set me in any hierarchical state superior position to to anybody else terribly tempting i think we're in an academic to think that your gifts are the most important gifts in the world uh, and and that there is some some sort of you know natural superiority there and i think it's for me as a christian to realize that as i receive communion for instance that that here i discover who i am and who i am is is a recipient of a gift that's given without regard to anything about my natural abilities or my educational attainments. Um, it, it also, for me, I think this theology of gift, uh, I'm th- thinking a lot about at the moment in relation to economics and in relation to the place of the church in um, 
in poorer parts of the of of the of our society and um the way how i i live in an ex mining village here in county durham i'm quite involved in the local community there and and i've found uh i think i'm discovering ways for the church to be part of that community in a way that's neither patronizing nor uh disabling um but is actually seeking to develop the gifts of those who who are uh, part of that community your time with us today has been a gift to us well, thank you and thank you very much indeed john for coming on talking theology thank you very much indeed thank you it's been a great pleasure You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com. <laughs>